Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hello, and thank you for joining Sports Tonight. I am Rob Shields, and I am joined by BSL owner and creator and all the other fun names you want to say, Chris Stoner. Uh, we will be coming to you weekly, bi-weekly, something like that, uh, talking about local and national sports, whatever topics are uh, kind of in the news at that time. And, uh, you yep, know, so obviously we'll be focusing on the local. So after a several-year delay, here we here we are back. Uh, I think when we did the show previously, we had a lot of high-quality guests and very detailed uh, questions. This time, we're just gonna uh, just be off uh, off the cuff a little bit more. Uh, so we have a few topics to get into tonight: Orioles, Ravens, Terps, uh, uh, maybe the NBA. We're just gonna do some quick hits and uh, and go around. I guess we'll start with. Uh, the sad news at oil camp with uh, Trey Mancini. Um, obviously, we don't know the details yet of what exactly is going on. We can speculate, but <clears throat> instead of doing that, let's just say that we wish the best for uh, Mancini. Hopefully, this is very precautionary and it turns out good. I think we can look at the comments of his teammates and uh, what's come out from from him and everyone else there at camp and realize that this is potentially very serious news. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, thoughts and prayers type thing for, for Mancini. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious this isn't something that's, uh, you know, something that we could just gloss over and act like it's no big deal. Like you said, there's no reason to speculate now on what's wrong with it. Uh, you know, I think if you look at it just from the baseball side of things, obviously it's a big blow to the team. He's their best offensive player. He's one of the 30 best offensive players in baseball last year. Uh, he seems to be the team leader uh, by all accounts. And, um, you know, it, it, it affects them greatly for the trade market, potentially. I mean, we don't know what he would have been able to, to fetch at the deadline, but it potentially hurts them as, as an asset that they can move and do something with long term. So uh, looking at it strictly from baseball, you, you, you hope that whatever it is, maybe he's back in a month or so and everything's okay and, you know, he's ready to go. But, you know. Uh, right now, it's 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 looking bleak for for him and the team. Yeah, I saw somebody. Uh, I believe it was Steve uh, Burr on the board said. Uh, obviously, you look past baseball and and you you just think about the uh, uh, the person and what he's going through. And obviously, that's where our our thoughts start. But if you go to the baseball side, we are a sports site. This is a sports show, and we're talking about that aspect. Uh, losing Mancini impacts in multiple ways. I mean. And even though this is a team that, you know, could very easily, you know, lose 95-plus games again this year, uh, you know, you still lose your best player before you start a season. That That's uh, very deflating. Uh, and then beyond that, to Rob's point about the uh, – there was speculation all winter about Mancini possibly being moved. There would be speculation this year if he was healthy out of the gate all the way up until the trading deadline if he was going to be moved. If he's not available, obviously that changes things. It also changes the complexion of the roster out of the gate, probably. Uh, and also, long term, uh, maybe 
maybe the Orioles become inclined more to uh, a keep Mancini, but you know that's speculation and that's down the road. But in the immediate, I think you're looking at uh, uh, if you just figure he's not there for opening day. I think this pretty much locks Smith in the left field, Santander in the right. And DJ Stewart, who looks like he's going to get his first game action this week and is ahead of schedule, maybe he winds up making the roster as well. Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I don't think it changes anything for Mountcastle. Uh, I, I don't think there's any chance they're going to bring him north with the team, just if for no other reason than just the service time. But if there was any thought on waiting until, you know, say mid-May or June or something like that by the team, which of course we don't know if that's the thought, uh, I, I think this that if, if this is an extended thing, I, I, I think we can pretty much be guaranteed that Mountcastle will be up by uh, May. And he might be anyway, but I think this, this makes it pretty much more of a, a, a definite if that's the case. Yeah, I've definitely thought Mancastle would be <clears throat> up as soon as the, the Orioles got the extra year of uh, service time. But I think that's a, a good point if, if there really were any lingering issues that they're looking at in terms of, you know, wanting to see further play discipline, et cetera. I think they'll just uh, forgo that and, and have him up uh, no matter what. So interesting to watch. Uh, obviously just hoping for the best for Mancini and uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, so further Orioles issues. Uh, we were uh, today at, at BSL, uh, the host of the verge, they put out their, the start of their top 30 prospects within the organization. They did uh, 30 through 16. I think we're pretty clear who the top three will be when they have the second part come out. Uh, if we take away the big three in the Orioles minor leagues, I'm curious, Rob, who you are most interested in uh, watching this year? So, I mean, there, there's obviously a host of guys. If I was just looking at it strictly from what prospect am I hoping that moves and shows a lot of potential and upside, it would be Gunnar Henderson just because the Orioles have nothing in terms of infield prospects. And I'd like to be able to see that he's not only offensively holding his own, but also looks like that he can play either a good enough shortstop or look like he can be a third baseman, but he's far away. So I'm kind of to answer this question. My answer would be using Diaz. Uh, he's a guy that I am, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting like all-star level comp, uh, le, comp, uh, a level of, uh, competitiveness and competition from him. But I do think that he can be a borderline all-star type guy, um, you know, an eight to eight fifty OPS on the best years, you know, seems like he's got a good arm, good defense, um, I, he, he would probably be the guy I'm really hoping that he's up sooner than later uh the only thing that's really seemingly holding him back is injuries he you know he hasn't always lit it up in the minor leagues offensively with his numbers however I think a lot of that has to do with just a lot of inconsistent at bats and uh it's pretty obvious from Elias's comments that he kind of seems to feel the same way and that you know I think he would be fighting for a a real roster spot right now if he had been healthy last year so he's a guy that I want to look at early and and hope that he can move and, and get up here yeah, and probably uh, doesn't make for the best show, but I'm just going to go ahead and uh, agree with you there. I think it's pretty much the obvious answer, so maybe the question isn't so great. But uh, <laughs> what I liked looking at uh, the prospect list that came out today was the general feeling that the depth of the organization is improving. I think there's more guys you're looking. Yeah, they started at, at uh, you know, 30 to 16, but 
into the mid-20s, there's a fairly interesting amount of guys. But Diaz, to me, is the answer because uh, he's close to the majors. Last year, was he was hamstrung by the ha- hamstring injury. Uh, he was never quite right, but he did start to hit in the second half. This year, he's, he's healthy. Uh, the Orioles probably didn't see him at his full and 18 after he was acquired. Uh, where he was first getting, you know, he moving across the country, getting indoctrinated to a new franchise. This year, I assume he's healthy, he's ready to go. Uh, like Mount Castle, I assume that, you know, uh, he's going to produce for a couple months and he's going to be up as soon as the Orioles have obtained the service time. His path may be a little bit harder, but ultimately I see him at some point this year taking over right field and being the starter for some time. Yeah, and I mean, and, and you know, in addition to him, there's obviously the, the the arms like Kremer and Wells and Lothar and Zimmerman and all these guys who could be close to the majors um, that they're going to be, you know, big deals to watch. Um, but you know, Diaz, the one thing that Diaz also brings is is he does bring that potential to be that above average player, not just your run in the mill role guy, um, your you know your back end starter, or your middle reliever, or your fourth outfielder, or something. He 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 has the ability to bring that above average play. And there's only so many guys. The one thing that the Orioles system, yes, they have hey, the three big guys. Potential at the top. to be a. Go ahead. No, I think we yeah cutting in and out. My thought, but I believe he has that all star potential, like you said, or at least above average opportunity. And you're talking about some of the other uh, starting pitchers. Uh, within the organization, and certainly like a like an Aiken or a Kramer or a Loafer, uh, a Ballman or a Zimmerman, you know, who's uh, looking to me a little bit more impressive this spring, getting some swing and miss, uh, and it looks like the velocity's up. I mean, all those guys, to me, I'm interested in them this year, and I they're going to be, as they get major league starts, they're going to be more entertaining to watch than some of the direct we saw this past year. But uh, even the best of them, most of the expectations are that hopefully they could be possibly a back-end starter. And some of them, there's not a whole lot of belief that they're more than a spot starter or you know, potential middle relief. But I'm still interested in seeing them uh, as they ascend. But with... Uh, with Diaz, it's a chance of an above-average regular, and he's certainly going to have that opportunity. It's on him right now to go to Norfolk, produce for a couple months, and turn some heads and show that he's ready to uh, come up. What about at the uh, major league level? Uh, who interests you? Um, it, to me, it's between two guys. Uh, Means is one because I, I, I don't know that I believe in him yet. Uh, he, he did surprise me with being better in the second half last year than he was than, than I thought he would be, especially how he started off the second half. He ended up kind of rebounding pretty decently and uh, you know to end the year. But I, I think the name I would lean to more, and I have a feeling you're going to do the same one, is going to be Austin Hayes. Um, I, I, I first of all, I want to see if he can handle center field for the full, for the whole season. I think you know if he can be a center fielder, that's huge for the team. Uh, but he's kind of like Diaz. I think he can he can be an above average regular player if he stays healthy. Um, you know, they're both kind of in that same boat. Um, so I am I, I, I'm kind of you know he he really interests me this year. And and if if he stays healthy and the Orioles and he can show that he can play center field and the Orioles have above average center fielder, 
you know, for the next five, six years making no money, that'll be pretty huge for the organization. Yeah, Hayes is definitely my answer. And you know, if you have that, as you just said, if you have an above average up the middle, uh, you start there, you have a center fielder with some range. I know there's a lot of reports, and we've seen like Keith Wall say this guy can't play center field, but then we watched him in September, and I saw a guy uh, in a short sample size. To me, it looked like he had better range than Adam Jones ever had. And uh, he was certainly, to me, was covering more ground, and it wasn't just the highlight catches. Uh, now, that's not all about playing the position. There's more to it, but I saw a lot of tools there. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to it. Can he stay in the lineup? And that's, yeah, you know, and there's some. Yeah, there's some belief that Diaz could play center field too. So if Diaz plays center field, if they both stay healthy and one of them is in right and the other one's in center, I mean, you know, whichever, it's the same. It's, it ends up being the same thing. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, Hayes, I, I thought he looked impressive in center field. And he also has an arm for, you know, he's got a better than average arm for a center fielder as well, which is which is a nice luxury and commodity to have. That was always something that you always liked about Jones out there that, you know, he brought that arm. Uh, that not a lot of teams had out in center field. So, you know, arm strength can sometimes be a little underrated. And, you know, the Orioles had that with some of those good teams in the 2012-2016 area. They had some guys out there with strong arms that was, that you know, it was a little underrated uh, uh, as part of their defense. And that yeah, can, absolutely. You know, with Jones and Scope and Machado, you had, had, uh, had some real guns. Uh, you know, with Hayes, obviously it's, it's health. It's, it's showing that you can do it. I know the Oscar you know, went off the star a little bit, but to me it was a matter of if he's healthy, I think he'll produce. I mean, I see a guy that has has the requisite tools. It's a matter of, you know. But what was interesting to me with one of the other podcasts, The Verge, they brought up the name uh, Nolan Reimel, and I know it was a guy that uh, both you and I uh, liked. And... It just never quite clicked for Nolan. Part of the, and a lot of that was injuries uh, and opportunities, and certainly we don't want Austin to be the next uh, rendition of that. But to me, when you have guys like that, and certainly right now where the Orioles are, you have the opportunity to give them extended playing time and an opportunity, and it's on them to show what they're going going to be. So we've had this ongoing discussion at the board of like, well, who are you building around essentially, and. <coughs> You know, when do you stop building? It's like, well, you, in a season like this, you give opportunity, and these people will perform or they won't. And you'll either have an, uh, an answer at that position, or you'll have to go and find another option. And Hayes has every opportunity this year to claim center field for the uh, foreseeable future. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the one thing that they they said on that on the verge podcast that was that was really accurate and it, and it pertained to both Hayes and Diaz was that you know you do have some prospect fatigue with those guys. I thought, I thought that was a good way of putting it. You know that you know they've lost luster, but part of the reason they've lost luster is because they've been top one hundred type guys for a while now. And you know, a lot of times when a player is a top one hundred guy and he's in the minors and he's doing stuff for 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 multiple years and he starts to go down the list, it's because they're not performing. For these guys, it was more of a, you're just not healthy. Um, I, I'm not any more down on their potential and their upside now than I was, you know, when we acquired Diaz or when Hayes was making the top 100 list because I haven't seen a loss in talent from these guys. I just see a loss of, you know, ability to play. 
And, you know, availability is, you know, the best ability and they haven't had that. And, you know, so if they're able to get over that hump and stay healthy, I think that's that, you know, they that that prospect status, so to speak, comes right back into into play for them. Yeah, I know we're going to get into it further in other uh, sports that we'll cover, but you always talk about uh, one availability, uh, how huge that was. You know, again, looking at that 2012-2016 run where you had guys like Jones and Machado, you know, posting up. Well, Machado, for the most part, uh, in his latter seasons, posting up. Uh, and then also baseball intelligence or sports intelligence and, and how important that is. Um, so that's the other thing to, to watch some of these guys. The other guy I'll mention, just to throw it out there, I guess is uh, Santander, uh, which he did, you know, when they were also obtained those to Rule 5, and he had showed power uh, this past year in fairly, you know, it was only, I think he had just under 100 games. Uh, you know, it's can you follow that up, and, and what do you have uh, as an encore? <laughs> and are you a... Are you a regular going forward, or are you a a secondary type of piece? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of look at him the same way I look at it as at nu- as Nunez. I, I think both of them have the ability to be a four hundred plus at bat player. Um, maybe not an everyday guy, but a guy, but a guy that can you know give you a ton of at bats. But I also look at them as two players who, if they're cut by June. I can't sit here and say I would be surprised by that. So I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I am interested to see those guys because you know, if 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 you can get cheap production from them, um, you know that's that's important. You know, if you can get that for for the next couple of years, uh, they both have the issue of not you know drawing a lot of walks, low on base percentage, but they got a lot of power. Uh, there, there's a lot there to like. They're but neither one of them are really that old. So, you know, there, there's a lot to like there uh, for them. And, you know, being able to be a, a, a you know, a, a good platoon guy and, and you know, and, and give you a lot of power is a, is, 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 a, is a nice luxury to have, especially for a team that really lacks a lot of positional prospects right now. And um, to be able to, to have that uh, for the next little bit, even as just a bridge to some of these other guys or what they'll get in the draft the next year or two, you know, it's important for the organization. For a team, it's not expected – do much this year, and a a surprise year would be 70 wins. I think the Orioles have a number of interesting guys on the roster that I am looking forward to watching. You mentioned Nunez, uh, Ruiz, Alberto, uh, uh, the, the two catchers. I mean, there there are a number of uh, uh, players that I'm interested to see what they do, and we'll talk about those further in another show. But we're going to move move on. Uh, Let's just jump to the Ravens very uh, quickly. I'm getting a little bit nervous as uh, we're getting further away from the end of the season, and we haven't had Yonda confirm that he's coming back. What is your expectation there? Do you think he's uh, returning, or do you think you're anticipating him retiring? Um, well, I did have a little birdie tell me that he that he's going to probably be coming back. Whether that ends up being the case or not, who knows? Um, I, my anticipation would be that he would come back uh, because I think he played at such a high level and I think he sees the opportunity that he can win a title. Um, the team basically tells him you don't have to do anything between now and the start of the season. Um, so 
I, I, I would anticipate him coming back for one and give it one more year. Um, I, I don't think he goes any more than that, but I, I think he sees that opportunity and, and, and does it. I, I think, you know, I think he's taken time just to make sure his body feels okay and things like that uh, after a long season. But I, I think he, I think he would like to try to win another title. So I think he'll go after it. I think he likes, I tell you what, I, I think if, and this is no shot at Flacco whatsoever, but I think, I think, I think he, a player like him is a little bit energized by a guy like, by like a guy like Lamar, um, being able to play with him, the excitement that he brings, the leadership that he brings, and just the different style that he brings. I, I think a guy like Yonda, uh, appreciates that. And, and I think he'll want to give it another go with him. Well, I think one of the reasons it would be energizing playing for Jackson if you're Yonda is that a lot of those guys, uh, they prefer a ground and pound attack where you know, yeah. they can just uh, maul guys. That feeds into his uh, playing style. And certainly uh, with the success the Ravens had this past year, I mean, they're going to enter 2020 with Super Bowl aspirations. So uh, I would also feel, at least I went into the offseason thinking he would probably give it a go for one more year. The fact that he hasn't definitively said so yet makes me wonder a little bit. If he does not come back, I would, you know, you obviously want to know prior to the draft, and I think that potentially changes uh, the Ravens' drafting strategy. Uh, but as of right now, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, you know, of course the Ravens are always best player available, but to me it's front seven. That's kind of what I'm keying on. Well, I, I think they'll know about Yonda before free agency starts, personally. Um, I think he'll give them that. And, you know, and they might sign an offensive lineman, uh, you know, to kind of replace him. And I, and I know that uh, Ken McCusick, um, uh, former at the uh, – everybody knows him as Film Study, formerly at uh, Russell Street Report. He, he had a lot of glowing grades and, and things to say about Ben Powers um, in, in the limited time. That was in the preseason. That was week 17. Um, I, I know he likes his potential, um, and he's graded out very well for him. And I, I don't necessarily – I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to be able to step in and replace Yonda, but, you know, it, it might give them a little bit of flexibility if they like him. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's any thought to, to move in Bozeman to center. Um, if, you know, Kaskura, you know, it's a bad injury that he had and, and there's no guarantee for him. Um, you know, maybe you take it slow with him. Maybe Bozeman goes to center. Powers is one of the guards and you, you sign somebody. I mean, I think that, that gives you a potential some flexibility. I think front seven is the obvious need on the team. I don't think there's any question about that, but I'm also not convinced that the first rounder has to be a front seven guy. Um, <clears throat> to me, the first rounder can be anything that's not a quarterback, running back, or tight end. Um, I'm, I, or And maybe corner, although this corner draft is so good that if there's a corner that you love that's sitting there in that first pick, depending on what you do with Smith and Carr, maybe you grab one. But, you know, I, I think pretty much any other position is, is up for grabs. Uh, you know, I, I think it's more likely to be a front seven guy, though, whether it's a middle linebacker or an edge guy. Um, you know, but yeah, I, one of the I reasons think I think uh, it winds up being a front seven guy is if you look at as all the mocks are becoming a little bit more condensed here as we get closer to the draft, all of the guys kind of in the Ravens range that they would potentially be looking at most of them are front seven guys, although they're all kind of more in the 30 to 37 range in the overall, 
a hierarchy, so it's like, eh, ideally, you'd like to be able to trade back a few spots, but who knows if that'll be plausible or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I it, it sounds like this is a draft where everybody would like to trade back. And, I, I mean, I made the comment last week on the board that, you know, this might be a draft where it's worth it to trade up. If, if, if you can do it on the cheap because somebody says, hey, look, I'll take an extra fourth-round pick, even if it means, you know, even if what you're trading me up, I should be getting a third. But, you know, if I'm getting an extra fourth, I, I feel like I'm getting the same guy at 20 as I'm getting at 28. So, you know, and maybe the Ravens just fall in love with a guy that falls down. I mean, you know, last year they apparently wanted Brian Burns, um, who was a guy that I, I had really liked, um, you know, you know, they didn't go, they obviously didn't do a bad job getting Brown, but, you know, <clears throat> had they been able, you know, if there's a guy like that sitting there, it might be worth it to trade up. But I, I agree. I, I think, I think ultimately if you could pick up an extra third or fourth rounder and you can drop back, say within 10 ish spots. Um, sure. I mean, why not? I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I think the, we, we don't know, you know, we, we know what the Ravens' history has been with the draft, but DaCosta has also shown to be a little bit more aggressive in some ways than Ozzie Newsom was. So, you know, DaCosta might have a little bit of different strategy than what we've seen in the past. But I think ultimately, I mean, he traded down, obviously. Um, or no, he didn't trade down last year. I was thinking the year before. But they, you know, they're, so they're, they're, there's, they're, I think there's a, lot of, there's, a lot of things, there's a lot of things that they can do. But, you know, I'm sure we'll hear that the Ravens got one of their top 15 players with their 28th pick like we hear every year. So. Yeah, somebody always falls, and I'm sure the Ravens, the other thing they're looking at is taking advantage of Jackson's contract this year and uh, maximizing that. And when you've had the year the Ravens just had, it's like it's you're, you're, going, for a, you're going for a Super Bowl. And uh, sure, you want the year-to-year consistency, and they're going to be looking at the extensions with Stanley and also uh, Humphrey, but uh, my sense is they're probably going to go all in and – uh, probably make a, a larger splash this off season than maybe some people anticipate. Yeah, and, and I think you know everybody wants to point. Well, the Ravens are, are not that team that have ever done that before. But the Ravens also haven't been under a, a, a great rookie contract um, like they are right now. I think that's you, you can't compare. It's an apples to oranges comparison right now. Now that doesn't mean they're still going to make that big splash. But I, I you know I I don't want them to see him go and spend a hundred million dollars on Clowney or or uh, Ngakwe or something like that. But I I certainly you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping, I still hope that Campbell gets cut and that the Ravens can make a run at him. But, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm all for them making a, a splash, splashy type move, um, you know, whether somebody in the, in the front seven or, or not. But, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, this is why you want the cheap rookie contracts so you can make those types of moves. So we'll move on once more uh, for anybody that doesn't or isn't aware Rob is a Duke fan. We won't hold that too much against him. Well, we will, but we'll move on with that. So uh, you can briefly give an update. What's the ACC tournament look like this week? Obviously, Virginia has been on the rise in uh, conference. Louisville's got the veteran team. And Florida State, uh, the few times I've seen them, they just looked like a typical Florida State, highly athletic uh, uh, team full of future pros. Yeah, um, the, the ACC tournament's going to be pretty ugly this year compared to most years. It's it's a really weak conference this year. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, Clemson's not that good. Yeah, Clemson beat Florida State, Louisville, and Duke at home this year. Um, I, 
I, I think in a lot of ways that Duke is the favorite. I mean, in every in everything that I've seen, Duke is the favorite to win the conference, the tournament. Um, Ken Palm has him at like forty one percent, and I think the next closest team is Louisville at like twenty two percent or something like that. But I I think Duke is the favorite because I, I Florida State's a good team, but I think if I had my druthers, I'd rather have to only beat Florida State and one of Louisville and Virginia versus having to be both of Louisville and Virginia. Um, I know Florida State's higher ranked. Uh, I get that. But, you know, they haven't been loved by Kempom this year. Uh, I mean, they stayed in the top 20-ish, but it's not like they've been a top 10 team. Um, I, I personally think the best team in the conference is probably Louisville. Um, but they're inconsistent. And part of that is because they have a freshman point guard who's really good, but he's also very inconsistent. Um <clears throat> The, the one thing, you know, Duke has the inside-outside game with Jones and Carey. And, you know, but what – what and Cassius Stanley could be a real monster. But their, their problem has been they, they have not gotten consistent play from a lot of their guys that they thought would be a lot better, I think, at this point. Um, I mean, now they're bringing – Justin Robinson is turning into be a little bit of a savior for them, which is, you know, he's a walk-on. And, you know, he hasn't barely played in the five years he's been there, but – He's also the team leader, and he's he's actually come on and played well. He's a lot of Duke fans are give, he's given them memories of Brian Zubek in 2010. So you know we'll see what happens there. I, I but I I don't think it's the exciting tournament that the ACC normally is, just because the depth of the conference just isn't there this year. Uh, of more interest to most people listening to this will be the Big Ten tournament, and obviously uh, Maryland. Maryland gets a share of the Big Ten regular season. Uh, their first Big Ten crown. Uh, now we get on to the Big Ten tournament, which is just absolutely loaded with potentially 10 or 11 teams making the national tournament uh, in the days following. Uh, I'm interested to see what Maryland does. Historically, Maryland has never been great in conference tournaments. It's just uh, Maryland has not had a lot of success. Uh, I would, you know, obviously Maryland starts in the quarterfinals here. They will have, uh, they'll get the uh, Indiana-Nebraska winner will face Penn State on Thursday. Maryland faces the winner on Friday. Penn State's been slumping. Penn State beat Maryland early the year at Penn State. For this tournament and really every game Maryland plays the rest of the way, for me it's more about what does Maryland do than, than the opposition. Uh, what Maryland team do you get? And over 30-plus games this year, what we saw consistently was Maryland starting slow, oftentimes rallying, uh, finding a way to win. Uh, they Obviously, it's been beat to death that uh, Wiggins and Ayala had to, uh, both shot over 40% from three last year, and this year at the deeper line, and just for whatever reason, their their shot wasn't there consistently this year, and that uh, certainly impacted Maryland. You talked on the board the other day about how Maryland is a different team when the guards are playing well, and that's certainly that's certainly true. It just the other difference the other day with their win over Michigan was that they uh, yeah they were going to the basket, they were taking less threes overall. They even had some intermediate game, which you never see in the current current college game at this point uh, and you know, getting to the line uh, and for Maryland most of their game at this point starts with defense 
Uh, we've certainly beat it to death with the board that we'd like to see more tempo out of Maryland, but we know that's not the style. And there's more than one ways to uh, to win games. Obviously, Virginia's the defending national champ, and that's certainly not a team that gets up and down the court. So, uh, really, if Maryland can be anywhere near 80 points a game, they'll do well in the Big Ten tournament, and they'll do well in the, in the NCAA's as well. Yeah, I. <clears throat> this is a this is probably as wide open a tournament as we're going to see in any given year. Um, you know, there, there's literally, I think there's, I mean, you talk about that there's 10 or 11 teams that can make the NCAA tournament. I think there's at least, I think at least eight of those teams can actually win the big 10 tournament. Um, my, my favorite is Michigan state. I think they're, I, I thought they were going to be the national champion before the year. They obviously had their struggles, uh, Langford never coming back, um, but I, I think they're they're starting to get it uh, ever since the, the the game at Maryland. They they they've really been rolling. Um, well, it's March I, and I, Izzo. Yeah, I mean, I I you know it's and you got you know, Stan, you got Winston as a as a as a steady senior point guard, which is so huge in March. Um, <clears throat> Tillman's good down low. Uh, their their X factor is Henry. He has been. Their, their freshmen are starting to play better. I, I I would favor them to win. It's kind of unfortunate that Maryland's lined up on the same part of their bracket. It'd be nice if they were playing in the finals. The the one thing I will say about Michigan State, um, to me, the sleeper team in the entire tournament is Purdue. Um, Purdue needs some wins to get into the tournament, um, and you know they're looking to be one of the uh, like have like the most losses ever for a team that makes the tournament. And they they have a real shot now. Now they have to go through Michigan State to to get there, um, and then if things play out, they'd have to get through Maryland. But I I, I think that they have a chance, and I, I think that they're a very very dangerous team. Kempom has loved them all year with their efficiency ratings. Um, I, I think you know this tournament can go either way. I, I saw a prediction today that I that I really liked. Um, that I was kind of leaning towards too, and 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 I think on the top half of the bracket, I'll take Michigan. Uh, Wisconsin doesn't wow me, so I, I I think they're good, and they've obviously been playing fantastic. Uh, but I think I think Michigan, um, you know, as as that team that I mean, quite frankly, there's very little difference between they're the ninth seed. There's very little difference between Wisconsin and Michigan. I mean, and 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 any team in between, there just isn't. So I I, I like I like Michigan, uh, Michigan, Michigan State final. Um, but I, I do think that Maryland is the best team in that conference if the guards are playing at a high level, um, which unfortunately has not been the case for I mean, I, so many I think, games this year. I, I don't think I'm saying anything that most Maryland fans would disagree with, that Wiggins is Maryland's second most talented player. If Wiggins was consistently playing at the level that his talent uh, says he should be, Maryland would be a very difficult out the rest of the, uh, this year. They played their best half, I think, pretty much most of the year in the first half against Michigan. Mm-hmm. It's can they sustain that for any length of time. Uh, I, I kind of agree with Michigan State being the favorite. Uh, you know, Izzo in March. Um, and there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten, and you kind of made the point somewhere on the board in the last few weeks that you know maybe the Big Ten isn't, uh, doesn't have a lot of – maybe it doesn't have the elite team. Yeah, but great depth this year in the conference. 
I'll say one thing just kind of overall about the Big Ten is that uh, beyond the depth, I wonder if one of the issues the Big Ten has had at the national uh, in the national tournament is that the Big Ten, they just allow teams to get away with fouls that are just uh, they're just called in every other conference. And I wonder if they get into the uh, the NCAA tournament that the teams aren't sure what a foul is because people just get uh, routinely mugged, and this isn't just Maryland; it's every team. I mean, well, there, Shashevsky uh, had an issue this year. Um, I think it was the Louisville game where he basically was just like, "Oh, so apparently we're now not allowing uh, like freedom of movement anymore in the game." Um, and I know Billis has has complained about it some in various games that he's done this year that I've heard him talk, and he's talked about it, how it's been a real big problem this year. Um, you know, I, I know, like, that's been a, a, you know, like, like just talking at it from a Duke perspective for a second, like, their efficiency ratings on defense have been pretty high this year, but they're also a team that fouls a lot. And that has cost them this year at times. Uh, Vernon Carey is a guy that gets into foul trouble a lot. They need him to stay on the floor. It hurts them. And if if you're a team that's used to getting away with it, and then all of a sudden you get into the tournament and they're they're calling it that way, um, it it definitely changes because you now kind of get that deer in the headlights look. So it'll be interesting to watch if that becomes an issue for any of these Big Ten teams because there are so many of them that are ranked high in defensive efficiency this year. Um, you know, it's it's been one of those things that's really uh, kept a lot of those teams up in those in those types of rankings. So it'll be interesting to see if that's a problem for them. Yeah. Last note on the Big Ted tournament for Maryland is that I think one of the reasons Maryland looked good uh, in the win versus Michigan is they they had several days off after their loss at Rutgers. Uh, they got their legs under them. They looked fresher. They were moving quicker. Uh, they had their they were getting more deflections than they had in some time. Uh, you know, a Big Ten tournament playing multiple games back to back with a team that, like Maryland that is not particularly deep isn't the uh, the best scenario. So uh, I kind of either hope Maryland, you know, advances to the final or goes out early and prepares for the for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, nothing's worse than getting to the finals of these tournaments and using three or four days worth of games and then like losing. Um, you know, I mean, that just, it, it, I don't want to say it serves no purpose, but it feels like it does. All it does is tire you out for, but you got to turn around and start playing four days later. So it's no fun. So, uh, last topic of the night, uh, we'll jump, uh, once more, we'll go over to the NBA, just a big weekend for the Lakers as they beat both Milwaukee and, uh, uh, also the Clippers. Do you look at the Lakers as the, uh, the favorite for the title, uh, for the rest of the year? Um, no, I, I would, assuming that the knee injury is okay, I, I would lean Milwaukee simply because Milwaukee doesn't have to go through one of the Clippers or the Lakers to get to the finals. Um, they've been the best team all year. Uh, their, their defense is, has been really strong this year. Their offense has been really good. Um, I, I don't, Giannis, I think. Giannis isn't the best player in the league, I don't think. I think you know, obviously he's in. He's. I think he's currently in the driver's seat for MVP. But LeBron is 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 quickly closing, and if Giannis is going to miss significant time, then LeBron will probably end up winning it. But 
Um, <clears throat> I do think once you get to the finals, I, I, you know, I think Milwaukee's the favorite because of that. But once you get to the finals, I think I would favor the Clippers or the Lakers over them, if that makes sense. It's just simply Milwaukee has an easier path to get there. So I would give them the advantage of having being the odds on favor. But um, I think out of the Clippers and the Lakers, I would still lean the Clippers um, because I, they're just deeper. Um, they've got the more reliable third score in Lou Williams. I think that's a that's a big thing in 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 the NBA. I think and in, in you know in, or or any basketball um, having that reliable third guy. I think is really important. And the Lakers really don't have it. Um, that, I, I think I like that point you made about uh, Milwaukee thing. having an easier path uh, overall in the East. Although I think the Eastern Conference playoffs would be fun. There's a number of teams that I think are. Um, I don't think can win an NBA title, but I think can win maybe multiple series. Yeah, it's it, better than it has been. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure the Lakers are the best team in LA. Uh, I, you know, I think the Clippers are, are deeper overall. Kawhi, at this point, man, he just he just seems to me he he plays for the big games in the regular season, and then he's ready for the playoffs, and it's. Uh, It'll be what level to me George is at, you know, kind of if he's playing that day, you know, last year he was in the MVP consideration. I mean, not legitimately, but top five. If he's at that level, that's a uh, with those two and being a little bit deeper overall, I think that uh, they could get past uh, or I put them as the favorite to get past the Lakers. But Certainly, I'm impressed with LeBron this year. I know you and I have always been uh, Jordan guys, and maybe that's our our age. We're uh, both 41 this year. We grew up with with Jordan, uh, you know, from our youth. Um, but I can say I certainly have a lot of respect for LeBron, and certainly at this point in his career, to still be playing at this level is is uh, is something to admire, uh, and he's. Uh, I love that he's added the uh, the assist this year as needed. And I was interested. I anticipated he would come back off the injury fresher and have something to prove and have a big year. But I also thought maybe he would wind up deferring uh, and not being quite the the alpha on the team. But it's still his team. And it's uh, as of this weekend, he's still putting out there, you know, it's still my league. So that's yeah, impressive there. Well, I mean, Anthony Davis yesterday was like, you know, LeBron's the MVP. Um, I, I think, I think, in, I, I think one of the smartest things that we've seen a coach do um, in recent years in the NBA is Vogel saying that LeBron's going to be the point guard. Um, it, it, it's been the talk for the last several years that that Cleveland should have done it. Um, that, you know, let the man run the show. Uh, he, he makes smart decisions. He's a highly intelligent player. Um, you know, I, I, I think it was, I, I sometimes doing the obvious move is the smart thing to do. And, 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 you know, I, I certainly, I don't see Kawhi Leonard ever winning an MVP during the year because I kind of agree with you. He just kind of like just coasts through the regular season. You know, he does his stuff, shows up for the big games, plays well, but once he gets to the playoffs, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I at the end of la- when the year ended last year, I thought that Kawhi was the best player in the league. 
with LeBron number two. I'm not, I'm not sure that Kawhi is still above LeBron. I, I need to see I need I want to see them head to head in the finals and see how how that goes. Um, I think he's the best two way player in the league for sure. But I um <clears throat> I, I'm going to be interested in seeing that. Uh, you know, and I, I think that. I do think, you know, the best thing that happened to LeBron in a lot of ways was for them to have a bad year last year. Um, I mean, you know, to not, you know, he'd gone to eight straight finals. So to be able to have the summer off and, and miss those games last year, you know, the wear and tear on his body coming into this year wasn't anywhere close to what it's been the last several years. Yeah, even though he's also mentally refreshing. Yeah, no question. Uh, sorry, we lost Chris there for a second. Might have everybody. lost you, but I think we'll wrap. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think uh might have lost Rob there at the end, but we're going to wrap up. Obviously, we've just gone through a number of topics. Uh, first show, Rob and I can talk forever just about batting sports around. So uh look forward to uh, more shows as we go forward. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, we'll catch you next week.